Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, dear friends, and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. It's just a great joy to be here. And joining me today is our dear leader of the Chosen People Ministries Works in Brooklyn, New York. And actually, he's the regional director. Bobby, you're holding a couple of million Jewish people in your hands. Don't feel that you have any pressure at all. Oh, thank you. So, I, I have no pressure at all. Appreciate it. That away. So, uh, Bobby Walter is the New York director of Chosen People Ministries. So, shalom, Bobby. Welcome. Yeah, shalom, Mitch, and welcome to you as well and to all of our listeners. Uh, as always, we're, we're grateful that you're joining us. And uh, today, Mitch, as you know, we're going to try to land the plane here with the Sermon on the Mount by focusing on Matthew chapter 7. Okay. Well, this is uh, a great chapter. And the most important thing for all of us is that we know Jesus as our Messiah. And he is the one that makes us one. Isn't that true? Amen. He does. He does, and we enrich one another. And we don't judge one another. Judging is bad. Uh, and uh, the word there, crine or crino, is not the word for, uh, let me evaluate. It's, it's the word for judging. Mm-hmm. It's when people are critical of you. And so Jesus is telling us not to be critical of one another. So let me read it. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You know, there's this principle, you know, that you're going to be do unto others as you'll have others do unto you. You just can't get away from it in, in the Bible. Jesus over and over and over again stresses that we will be treated as we treat other people. Uh, he continues in verse 2, For the way you judge, you'll be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So, you know, when you're judgmental towards other people, then you have to make sure uh, that you're perfect because others will then judge you on the basis and standards that you're judging them. And he, he illustrates it wonderfully about looking at the speck in the brother's eyes and without noticing the log in your own eyes. I mean, it's so graphic. Um, and oftentimes in the Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn, you hear someone saying, I don't want to commit Loshan Aura. Right. Loshan Aura. Okay, that is a Yiddish term. I think it's Hebrew, but it's got a little Yiddish twang to it, you know. And uh, but it's really important to religious Jewish people that they never say a bad word on about someone else. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, lashon hara will be translated literally. It's evil speech or an evil tongue, uh, right. and it's usually you know referring to gossip or you know talking ill about someone else. And uh, the teaching, I mean, this is actually, um, you know, a topic that you'll hear in different sermons in Orthodox synagogues uh, kind of frequently. That's so true. And then there's the story of the rabbi and the feathers, you know. The -hmm. rabbi was illustrating this principle, and he says, it's like the feathers. So he threw up a whole bag of feathers, and the the wind blew, and the feathers uh, went all over the place. And he said, our evil words are like feathers. They blow away. You don't know where they're going to go, but they're going to touch ground in all sorts of places you never wanted them to go. Mm. And you can't retrieve your bad words 
just like you can't retrieve the feathers that have been scattered by the wind. And um, that's, that's one of the illustrations. So Yeshua says, don't do it. And one of the ways you, you won't do it is if you have clear vision. And so come before me, let me show you the log in your eye. Then you can repent and get that out of your eye. Then you'll have a whole other outlook on your brother. Number one, because you know that you're guilty of the same things uh, that they are. And so you won't be a harsh critic. And then uh, secondly, you'll also know my love and my forgiveness. And so that's how you should behave towards them. And uh, a gentle word turns away wrath. That's the book of Proverbs. And, in, and it's so true. Um, so what we learn from this is that Jesus was, Jesus was a real rabbi, you know? <laughs> he was a first century itinerant Galilean rabbi. And, um, and he, he talked like a rabbi and told stories and illustrations like a rabbi. And it's just, when you read this stuff, you say, wow, that just feels and sounds so Jewish. And it is. And then secondly, Jesus is uh, wonderfully to the point, and he speaks directly to the heart. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is he never answered a question that had some underlying manipulation to it. He never answered a bad question in that way with a good answer. And so he always called people on the evil intent of their hearts, which were reflected in judgmental statements and questions that were really intended to uh, either show someone else's superiority or to be negative towards people. And so we have to be careful, don't we, with our own souls. Uh, we need to be careful about our words. James wrote f basically five chapters on that. And so we have to be very careful about what we say. And, you know, this again, uh, this comes from the Hebrew scriptures and exemplified in Jewish tradition and in the life of Jesus. But I think Jesus always took it further, you know. Uh, Jesus always, always nailed it right into the, you know, right to the heart. You know, he just, he pierced through yeah. uh, all of the excuses and everything else and went and spoke to the heart, which is what I love about Jesus. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and here in, in chapter 7, in verse 12, it's like we have this kind of like the capstone verse for the Sermon on the Mount that just summarizes so beautifully and so directly so much of the the content of the teaching that jesus has been pouring out up to this point in the sermon it says this in everything therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you for this is the law and the prophets it's incredible huh yeah yeah it is and again it, it's an echo of so much of what we see in the old testament so much of what we see in uh, in the Word of God, uh, in places like Leviticus 19, where we have that command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And again, it's essentially the same thing, to treat others as we want them to treat us. And so much of what he's done uh, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount is to help clarify our understanding of God's Word and God's law and God's prophets and how to properly apply it in our lives to not focus on the ritual, not focus on, you know, uh, checking the boxes as in, you know, I, I was obedient today and therefore I'm a, I'm a good boy or I'm a good girl, uh, but instead to focus on the heart of the matter, Mitch, like, like you've been saying. And it just, it also reminds me later on in Matthew, in Matthew 23, verse 23, as Yeshua is rebuking certain f scribes and Pharisees, uh, he says that they're hypocrites 
for they tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Like the, the more important, the weightier aspect of obeying the Torah or obeying God's word. And then he says that these weightier matters of the law, it's justice, it's mercy, it's faithfulness, uh, which again are all matters and issues of the heart. Yeah, I, I think that's what's critical here. That's what's critical about the whole Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Yeshua continues uh, in the conclusion of the sermon where he talks about a couple of twos, two choices. So verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter it for the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. And so Jesus is challenging us to make the right decisions. Then he talks about the trees. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the fruit, tells us to beware of false prophets, and we'll know them by their fruit. And I think that this is really, really important. Verse 18, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. And that's talking about the heart. Again, Jesus, the rabbi, is telling us through illustrations from agrarian and natural life in Israel. And he's saying, look, if you're going to have a bad tree, then you're going to have bad fruit, which every Jewish person would have known. And if you're going to have good fruit, then you have to have a good tree. And so you have to focus on the health of the tree. Uh, that's what's important. We have to focus on the health of our soul. Yeah. So it starts inside and works its way out. Yeah. If we are truly followers of Jesus, then we're going to behave and act in a certain way. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, you know, he just beautifully illustrates this point and this invitation with the very last image that he gives in in, in the Sermon on the Mount with the two foundations. Uh, Are we going to build our lives on the solid rock, firm foundation of his words? Or are we going to build it on uh, a shifting sand? Because when the storms come, when the rains begin to fall and the winds pick up, it's only in those moments where our lives and our faith are really put to the test. Absolutely. And James, of course, said we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And, you know, the New Testament is so consistent within itself, and it's so consistent within the Old Testament. God doesn't just speak to us. He speaks to us hoping that we will obey. And if we obey, then we're blessed. If we don't obey, then we're not blessed. And so we need to make that choice. So we can hear the sermon, we can understand the sermon, but we need to understand more than anything that our own heart, our own soul, needs to be open-hearted towards God, and we need to put our trust in Him. And these are not just words, you know. If we put our trust in Him, then we'll walk in His ways, and we'll seek Him, and we'll try to be like Him. Is the Old Testament really messianic in nature? Well, that's the topic Dr. Michael Rydelnik explores in our free offer this month. In his book, The Messianic Hope, Dr. Rydelnik argues against the view that the Old Testament texts were not really messianic in their original intent, while helping us steer clear of the latest trends which deny that Jesus fulfills the Hebrew texts. If you're looking for an exciting read that will take you on an exciting journey through the pages of Scripture to reveal the Messiah in greater detail, you'll want to pick up a copy of Dr. Rydelnik's book today. It's free and available right now when you connect with us online at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. 
or request the book, The Messianic Hope, Is the Hebrew Bible Really Messianic? when you call 888-293-7482. Thanks for reaching out today. We look forward to hearing from you soon. New York City, home to an estimated 1.6 million Jewish people. At Chosen People Ministries, we gather believers from all over the country every summer to proclaim the good news of Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people all around the city. We engage in street outreach and follow-up. We also invite our volunteers to a special Jewish cultural day, Sabbath dinner celebration, and more. If you have a heart for the Jewish people and love to talk about Jesus, visit chosenpeople.com slash shalomnewyork to find out more. That's chosenpeople.com slash shalomnewyork. We hope to see you this summer. Well, right now we're going to hear from Jeffrey Morgan, a Jewish man who got tired of chasing success and began a 20-year quest for spiritual fulfillment. But his quest ultimately took a demonic and twisted turn, and he fell into a deep depression. Until, that is, he met a pastor at a gym, and then he began to feel hopeful and alive. So I was born into a secular Jewish home. We celebrated uh, Passover, uh, Sukkot, Hanukkah, and I remember going to synagogue a lot. The prayers were done in Hebrew. Uh, we didn't really understand what we were saying. And we would be like, this is what we do as Jewish people, but what are we actually saying? I remember, you know, being in, in temple and just sitting there listening to, to the rabbi and just looking up at the stained glass windows and I didn't feel God in the congregation. I felt him personally. And so growing up in a Jewish family, there's a lot of pressure on success, achievement, good grades, good school, good job. And so as I left for high school and I left for college, you know, I had to pick a major and I went to a school for business, although all I really wanted to do was sing, dance, and do sports. But I feel that this is what I have to do. And it, and it really tore me up. I'm not succeeding here. I'm not doing well. Not only did I feel like I was disappointing my parents, I was disappointing myself. I've had it, I'm out of here, and I left college. So that whole experience over those years of trying and effort and failing just primed me for a headfirst dive into New Age spirituality. So here I am meditating, finding the silence and the peace and emptying my mind. And the problem with that is that in an empty space, something's gonna come in. I would start to feel this, this oppression, um, this sense of, of odd control nudging me into certain directions. Go here, go there, pick that up, turn around and walk back. And I felt like if I didn't do what that, that, that presence or that voice was telling me to do, that something bad would happen to me. I even had an outer body experience once where here I am laying on my bed and all of a sudden I come up out of my body, I turn over, and I'm looking down upon myself and I float away and I come back and I come back into my body. Something was going on. What I didn't know was what side it was on. Was it from the light or from the dark? And come to find out that sure enough, it was from the dark. I was doing everything I can to, to put on a happy face and not let anybody know what was happening inside of me, but, but people knew. So my wife started noticing that I was going into depression. I remember one day, lying on the floor in my wife's arms, just bawling my eyes out. And I'm crying and I'm looking up at her and I'm saying, I, 
I'm sorry. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've spent 20 years in an effort to become more spiritual, successful, enlightened, and I have nothing to show for it. I'm empty. And to be honest, I really didn't have much strength or effort to live anymore. But I looked at my beautiful wife and I looked at my beautiful children and I said, that, wow, there's no way I could take myself out of this world. Even though I have no desire to live. I'm tired of pretending like I'm some sort of advanced spiritual being when deep down inside I knew that I was broken. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I've dedicated the last 10 years, 12 years, 15 years to meditation and spiritual practice, positive affirmations, and I have nothing to show for it. So here I am, I'm going to the gym, and this really tall guy comes up to me, and he looks at me and he says, you know, I've been, I've been watching you, and you know, we're about the same age, and um, I just wanna know, what do you eat? And I said, okay, well, you know, you don't really wanna know what I eat. And he's like, what, what, burgers and pizza and whatever you want? And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I eat a, a plant-based diet. So the next day I come in and I, I look at this guy and he's over at the other side of the gym and I'm like, you know, I kinda feel drawn to this guy. I wanna go ask him a question. So I walk over and ask him, I said, hey, what do you do by the way? And he goes, I'm a pastor. And, and for some reason that, that sparked something in me. And so I started asking him, asking him these questions and he'd give me these really concise answers and then I'd go home and I'd say, you know, honey, I had this interesting experience at the gym and, 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 we, and we talked a little bit about, about, about Christianity. We talked a little bit about, you know, him being a pastor and what he does. So one of the biggest things that my wife was having trouble with was how can she be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Because everything that she'd heard up at that time was Jesus is not for the Jews. And so she was wrestling with that and she came upon videos from One for Israel videos, testimony videos, of Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus. And my son would come home and he's like, yeah, I just had these great experiences about, about learning about Jesus. And we were like, something's going on here. And so I went back to the gym and I saw this other guy on the other side of the gym. I was like, he has something in him that I want. He looks happy. He, there's a spark in him. So I went over and I introduced myself and he goes, can I pray for you? And I said, Okay, why not? And at the end of the prayer, he says, in Jesus' name. Day after day, I kept coming back to the gym and I had this desire to look for this guy. And I would go up for him to specifically for prayer. And every day I said, in Jesus' name, I started to feel like something was happening. And what I realized over time was that peace, it wasn't the absence of something. It was the presence of something, or should I say, someone. When I heard the name Jesus, when I heard the name Yeshua, when I started to study and read about him, when my family went out into the world, had experiences that were related to Jesus and we came home, we felt life. For the first time we felt life. And it was at that moment that my wife and I, we got on our knees and we gave our lives to Jesus, Yeshua. And I knew that Jesus was the only one. The only one. And it was at that moment, this energy went through me that I'd never felt before. The depression, 
the anxiety, the fear, chronic issues that I'd been carrying with me my entire life in one moment were gone. So here I am now believing in Jesus and following Jesus and you know, a new man and I gotta go face my parents again. <laughs> we go down and visit them and, and we just, you know, said, hey, you know, we, uh, we have found new life uh, in, in, in Jesus. And my mom, um, my mom was like, um, you know, that's, that's nice for you, but why can't you just be Jewish? <laughs> you know, why can't you just stay Jewish? And I'm like, mom, if you only knew that following Jesus was the most Jewish thing you could ever do. Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second-generation young adults, and we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel. To learn more about this new exciting project, visit chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. And we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And Mitch, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happening this summer with Chosen People? Well, it's exciting, Bobby. You know, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what better place to practice that passage of scripture than in New York City, where you don't have to go looking too hard for the Jewish people to be first. We have two million Jewish people in New York City, and you will have the opportunity this summer to join us in bringing the gospel to the Jewish people first and also to the Gentiles. And usually every summer we actually lead more Gentiles to the Lord than Jewish people. And, and that's, that's our joy. So Shalom New York is sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. We've been doing this for many, many years. The dates are July 29th through August 5th. That's July 29th through August 5th. And so we will take the opportunity to bring people in from all over the United States and all over the world and we'll have some great fellowship, great worship, even great food, bagels, pizza for everybody. You know, we're going to have a, a wonderful time, uh, but we're going to focus on bringing the gospel on the streets, in the parks, and all over uh, New York City to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. So come. There's no age limit. Uh, if you're under 18, come with a parent. Just bring them along. But there's no age limit. There's going to be something for everybody to do. And uh, we'll try and use your spiritual gifts the best we can as we find them out as quickly, quickly as we can. And so it's going to be a wonderful time. So come to Shalom New York, and you can find out all about it on our website. That's right. You could check us out on chosenpeople.com radio, or you can also give us a call at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA, the Hebrew name for Jesus. And when you reach out today, 
be sure to ask for your free copy of Michael Rydelnik's book, The Messianic Hope. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for connecting with us. And now let's wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach. Sar Shalom. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.